Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter, and I'm the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate vision into frontline operations. Cass and I are giggling because three times a charm. We just get <laughs> keep booting, get booted off by Riverside. A oh, shout out to Riverside. Usually, Riverside is really, really good. But hey, shout out to you guys. Let's see what happens on this one. So, Cass, thank you very much for joining us on the show. <laughs> no problem. It's really great to be here. Cass, can you give us uh, a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do for a living? And uh, how do you stay smiling through all this technology? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the story of my life as a, a tech founder, hey? This is the, the everyday. You can't even get by with the little technical glitches that happen daily, but tis, tis the life. But uh, yeah, so I am the CEO and founder of Heal Mary, which is a digital health platform connecting patients to clinical trial treatments globally. And I would say my day-to-day -day is uh, running the good old startup race and riding with the ups and downs that come with it. <laughs> like today. <laughs> like today. So, so we just keep on smiling and persevering. Um, what's that thing? You're how close you are to diamonds all the time. It's like, oh, my goodness. this, All these <laughs> entrepreneurial saying, don't quit. You'll see timing is everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Work through the problems. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Cass, can you... Uh, can you tell us the title of the show? What is the meat in the middle? What are we going to talk around? We're going to be talking about running your own Hail Mary, your own Hail Mary, I should say. And why, why did you pick that title? Why is it important to you? You know, I, ironically, our company's name is Hail Mary, but, you know, the essence of it, and I think it really reflects startup life, is you're running a Hail Mary, you know, when you're building a startup you're really trying a lot of things, some things that aren't going to work. And so it's really about running your own sort of game. And when you think about Hail Mary, Hail Mary in football, you, for those who are not familiar with football, is that a Hail Mary is a very long pass. So you've got, uh, you've got the scrimmaging line, the quarterback gets the ball snapped, tends to pull back to create some vision. And the receivers are usually running their little hearts out, crisscrossing, and then the quarterback just launches it. Fush! And then all of a sudden, there's this moment in time where the ball's in the air, everybody's scrambling, everybody gets up in the stand, and everybody's anticipating. I get, I'm, I'm having goosebumps just thinking about it. And then all of a sudden, the ball arrives, the receiver catches it, and it's a touchdown! Woo! <laughs> so for those who didn't know what a Hail Mary was, there you go. <laughs> that was so well described. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Before we go into what the company does and where, so tell us, where were you born? How were you raised? I like to, I like to provide that context to the audience so that people get a better understanding of where we are. We only got, you know, so much time together. So let, would you mind putting a little bit of context about who you are and how you grew up for the audience? For sure. So I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I have a family of six. Uh, 
some siblings and uh, my, my parents, and they were, you know, first generation immigrants here. So really learned about a lot about making things work, working hard. My dad owned a convenience store. So really that's the basis of where we learned how to do just the basic necessities of doing things right. And remembering, you know, cleaning and stocking shelves at my parent, my parents' gas station, you know, getting the dust off, making coffee at four in the morning and just, just the little mundane things that, you know, my dad taught me really, really mattered. So that was how I grew up. And then I moved to Toronto for 10 years and got into tech and really fell in love with the whole process of building products and then moved here to the, the West Coast, Vancouver, Canada, about three years ago, right before the pandemic. So it's been a, an adventure across Canada already. Oh, wow. So there's there's two Canadian shows that I know that are very... So you have Corner Gas. So for any anybody who's Canadian, you'll know what Corner Gas and Kim's Convenience. There are <laughs> two amazing conveniences, and I, I, I see... Cass's life kind of a, a mix between two, right? So you've got newly immigrated Canadians and then you've got Alberta, which is in the prairies. And, and uh, so you've got that corner gas for all the American listeners and the people who are abroad. Just take two minutes, go on Netflix, go on YouTube, find corner gas and Kim's convenience. And that's Cass's that's Cass's <laughs> life. In <laughs> A million percent. I'm pretty sure they both based the shows off my family. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So tell me, where did uh, Heal Mary come from? Where's, where's mom? Where's dad? Who's part of it? Who are its parents? And how did it come to be? Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of interesting um, my story sort of starts at 10 years old when my mom's diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and she's told at that point to go home and get her affairs in order God you know she's damn. got young kids young family yeah and uh and really that's that's sort of where it starts and the interesting thing about my parents is they kept us very sheltered from that and it's not until later in life uh as i'm older i understand the severity of that and um you know all of the things that a mom has to think about at that point in time and not only making sure that her kids are okay but my dad who you know is running this convenience store to to now take on the role of being both parents so having to get us all prepared for that without actually explaining fully what's happening um so yeah luckily you know my mom pulled through i i think we get a few miracles in mm -hmm. life and that truly for me is is probably a miracle that uh, i do not take for granted uh, and then we think that that's done. And in 2017, both of my sisters within months of each other get diagnosed with early stage cancer. So by this time, I'm an adult and they're around the same age that my mom was when she first oh, got damn. diagnosed. So I'm done. I, I, I'm like, you know what? There is a solution to this. There has to be a better way. And going through that process with my sisters really set me up to realize how difficult that process is, how difficult the journey is, and not only that, trying to go through this together and keep positive and optimistic, uh, just it's overwhelming. And so I really pivoted at that point to devoting my life to ensuring that patients have options. So what does it do? So Heal Mary makes clinical trials accessible. So we basically have a scraper that scrapes 
clinical trials that are happening all over the world today, treatments that are groundbreaking, and we connect you based on your personal health data to options that might fit for you. So we really provide choice to patients right now. Um, we're not here to diagnose, to treat. We're just here to connect you with options. The system right now is pretty challenged in the sense that, especially in the last couple mm -hmm. of years, practitioners, doctors have very, very limited amounts of time on mm -hmm. their hand. And the whole understanding of clinical trials is really difficult. So our goal is to use things like natural language processing to make it easier for patients to understand clinical trial treatments and then to easily self-apply into treatments that are of interest to them. Wow. And what's the... What's the outcome that you like to see? Close your eyes, see yourself in five years. What, what are the things that you see in the future that your tool will provide? Our tool will be the bridge that connects a patient to as many possible options to choose from. I think the important thing that we learned dealing especially with cancer patients, uh, we, we've also worked in COVID when that happened, we pivoted to help with COVID-19, but the power of choice, the power of being empowered in your own health and to understand what will be happening to you during that process. You know, it's so strange as CEOs and, and such, we're told you gotta have a business mm -hmm. plan. Even if nothing goes to plan, you gotta have mm -hmm. a plan. What, what's your plans? What are you gonna do financially? What are you? And when it comes to diseases and healthcare and illness, we don't have a plan because we, we don't know what to expect and how how things are gonna unfold. This is the first time we're dealing with this. So I just thought that was a very interesting thing about, about health and, and how we prepare for it. It is, it amazes me that in this day and age, and so if there's only a few people that, you know, not even, I, I'm, I don't wanna bash the health system, but there's too little times, too many times I should say, where a doctor chooses not to tell what we just go in and we there's no expectation we're just okay well you're the doctor you should know better but it's not true it's not true we should be responsible for our own health when i lived in europe uh i can't remember what it was i think i i, I had a rash or something on my face that that came out and the first thing that the french doctor asked me because we were living in france he's like do you drink wine every dinner and I was like, I do? Is it red or white? And I said, well, s summertime. He says, no, you have to stop the white wine. Second thing is like, do you do sports? Like sports, do you exercise? I said, yeah, I still do play rugby yeah. and all that good stuff. He says, okay, good. So they, they go through and then they'll say, they said to us, he says, I'm going to put you on this homeopathic. He says, I want you to cut this out of, I want you to cut all the cheese out of your diet. Then I want you to focus on, you're, I don't want you to sweat too much in your exercise. Then he says, well, uh, we're going to put you on this homeopathic. Here's the journey. And the, the French doctor, and I don't know if it's across Europe. I'm just going to say in France in general. It was, okay, how do, we, how do we tackle this in a stepped way that delivers somewhat of a plan going forward? I think in North America, you come to me with a problem. Okay, so what do you want me to fix? And then in... And I think that we tend to forget that there's a human side to it, and we, we just comply to it. Most North American people just comply. Well, yeah. the doctor told me this, 
right? And I think it's changing, yeah. though. I, th- I do think, Cass, that we are in a better position. I know my, my spouse, Tracy, she's, she's very active in our health. She knows where we are at. She knows our blood types. I mean, I call her a witch because she has all a bunch of, of oils. <laughs> she stops me from snoring with rubbing oils under my feet. I was like, what are you doing, witch? Uh, but hey, <laughs> so a homeopathic way, it, it, it works. Absolutely. And I think that what yeah. you're doing to at a certain stage, you know, all, all the homeopathic, all the exercise, all the proper food choices sometimes puts you in a position where you're, you have no choice but to see, seek professional help and assistance. And I wish that they would, like you said, show you the path. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to try. I don't know why. Why do you think you? So you deal with a lot of people, I guess. Why do you think they choose? The doctors choose not to tell you. I mean, I'm assuming they don't think that you're stupid. No, no, definitely not. And and again, I have no um, my you know my family's care team, as we call them. They were all spectacular. Mm-hmm. They my family got the best treatments from their their doctors, and they still to this day. Um, are getting checked up and, and followed up with. So there's, there's definitely no complaints there. I think the challenge is, is a doctor has limited amounts of time and also has a breadth of a certain amount of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So for example, when it comes to clinical trial treatments, we have in our database right now over 370,000 trials happening Holy worldwide. Shit. There is no possible way any human being mm-hmm. would ever be aware of all 370,000 trials plus what criteria they have. And so what we're trying to do is say a patient, like you said, your wife is so knowledgeable about your health. She probably knows if we were to ask her 10 questions about one of your, you or your children's health, she could answer that no problem. That's what we discovered is patients living with diseases are very knowledgeable. They know what tests Mm. they've had. They know how they've tested. They know their status changes. And so what we're doing is enabling that patient to get their treatment options that are happening worldwide and to bring that to their practitioner Ah. and say, hey, you know what? I find these three very interesting. I'm willing to travel to you know, Virginia to get this treatment. Yeah, I've got family down there. And, and now they've got a say in their health plan and how it's going to happen. Um, a practitioner, I think, right now has an intended amount, uh, an intended plan for you based on prior knowledge of your, your health, but they are not aware of these other things that, that you might know, the changes happening within you, or your caregiver might know, or all of a sudden you're willing to relocate to Europe to get this treatment. So those are the things we're trying to account for and now enabling the patient to bring that back to be a part of that process with their doctor. And I think what you're saying kind of falls in line with the title of the show. Why did you choose that <laughs> title? If this was the last thing that you were to pass on to people, why, would you, why did you choose the title of the show? The title of the show, Running Your Own Hail Mary, is, you know, if we bring it back into startup life, I think you described it so well. As entrepreneurs, we're making this long-term pass, and we don't know how it's going to play out every second. All we know is everybody's running their little hearts out. We have a plan and a play that may or may not work, but we're going to have to make that call because we have a limited amount of time, and we've got to make something happen. And... If this was my life advice to other people, it, 
it's really about your time here is so short. And I think that's something that I've learned dealing with cancer patients as well. When you have a very finite amount of time, how you live becomes extremely different. And I think the same thing can be said as an entrepreneur. When you have a certain amount of time to make something happen, you really run a different race than showing up to a nine to five job every day. You're running a very different race and how you're doing it is very spontaneous and, and being able to play into what's happening in real time. And I think that's why it's so important to say, you know, if you're, if you have something and you want to try it, run a Hail Mary, like just give it a shot. That is very powerful. That is, there's, yeah, the, the, sometimes I feel that the people who are not sick, so if we want to talk about entitlement, right? <laughs> You're entitled because you have mm -hmm. all the time in the world. I can just see having to think about, so yeah, I, I've got a limited time. What am I going to do or how am I going to do it? That uh, the, yeah. I think yeah. the, the one thing that, sorry, this is, this is pretty morbid, but on your, <laughs> on your tombstone, <laughs> on your tombstone, your bank account, the last amount in your bank account is not, is not stipulated. Right. It just Martin died with 14 million dollars in his bank account. That's not what people do. <laughs> like he was he was a loving father and husband. Right. So I'm just going to pick that. I hope I hope Tracy puts that or my kids put that. on. My <laughs> 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 um, but uh, joking aside, I think that what you've described is understanding that as an to entreprendre is the French version to take on what. Cass is really saying is, yeah, you don't know how it's going to finish. I think it's important, though. I think it is important to run the play, practice the play, plan the play, because you have to do all that. It's it's critical, mm -hmm. so that when you do throw the ball, you put all the all the assets in the right place, so that somebody from your team catches the ball. So I think the the planning component is is critical. But once you've passed that ball, once that ball has left the the quarterback's hands, like you're not in control anymore. And I think that you have to set those aside. Mm -hmm. I think it, it fits so well into what you're doing for your clients as well. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And so that's sort of the theme of my life is, is running this, you know, Hail Mary play because we're running it for our patients too. We're running it for people who want a shot at something. And, and truthfully, all they're looking for is a, a shot at just a little more time. That's that's one statement we hear across the board. I just I just want a little more time. And I think the I, I, I what I'm hearing is is being in control. When you've got a plan, no matter if it's executing or not, you always feel in control. You say, okay, you know, I know where I want to go, and sometimes it doesn't go the way that you want to go. At least you're always reverting back to your plan. I think what you're doing is, well, two things. One, knowledge dispels fear. That is, that is something that being mm -hmm. in the Army, we knew because um, that's, that's, that's the model of, of the airborne is knowing defeats fear. And so knowing that you've got all, I can just imagine being put in a position where you're faced with cancer, it might, 
you're not the only wor- person in the world, but you're the only one that you feel very isolated. Why is this happening to me, and where am I at? And, and then all of a sudden, you're, in, you're put in a position, okay, well, I'm going to die. Well, hold on a second. Knowledge disparals fear. What do I have out there that is available to me in addition to, and then the control component of it's what you're doing is you're not just leaving it in the doctor's hands. You're lo- leaving it in your client's hands, your patient's hands, and saying, hey, well, they're not your patients, but the, the, the yeah, I'll just call them clients. The clients, then they mm-hmm. go, I, I have some control. I have some control. It, I just wanted to add to that and say, like, you know, there are people who will come to us with knowledge already saying, you know, I've read this immunotherapy treatment, or if there's people who, um, you know, have read about a certain drug, or if they don't want to do a drug and they rather do a mm-hmm. preventative lifestyle, they come in with an amazing amount of knowledge already. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, you know, I think what you said was super powerful is knowledge dispels fear because that's that sense of control. I, I have an idea, I have a plan, I have something that I want to move uh, forward with. I, I do this exercise. So we help companies. So I urge on my company, we flip businesses for a living, right? So companies come to us, they've got, uh, they're stagnant, they're usually of older, they've been stable companies, and now they go, well, I, I can't sell my company, it's too little, so therefore I feel like I'm going to be stuck in this for the rest of my life. What do I do next? My kids don't want the business. I can't sell it. Oh, my God. Right? I'm, I'm stuck being a plumber for the rest of my life. And so we mm. come in and we do a fear setting. It's like, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that I'm going to be stuck in here. So what can we do to get you unstuck? Right? Have you heard of rolling up your business? Oh, no. Well, that's right, because you're a great plumber. You've been an amazing plumber. You've been an amazing father. Yeah. You've been sorry. I'm I'm generalizing. Most men's are trades, but more women are taking on trades. But the, the people that we deal with are usually baby boomers and usually general men. So, you know, the guy has had a very stable life. He's got good kids. Kids are out of house. You know, accountant and doing something in tech. Wife has been very supportive, and they've got a great business, but they want to do something else. So. What we're saying is you, you're not an M&A specialist. You don't do mergers and acquisitions. That's what we do. We'll take care of your business. We'll roll mm. it up. And, oh, really? Yeah, here's how it works. And, and being doing a fear setting, what are you afraid of? Okay, I'm afraid of dying in a year. Okay, so you can't change that. You can't change the fact that you might die in a year. But what, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of not spending enough time with my wife. Well, okay, so let's spend more time with your wife. I'm afraid that um, I'm not going to be able to, you know, spend more time with my kids. Well, spend more time with your kids. So that the same principles apply to entrepreneurship. What are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that I'm not going to make enough sales. To Okay, so what do you do to have more sales? Well, I need to network. I, okay, so shut the fuck up. Get on the phone. <laughs> Yeah. So I love what you are doing because it, it, it empowers people. And I think that's a, just, a, just a beautiful thing that you're doing. 
Well, that fear setting exercise, I mean, I I love that you just mentioned that because I'm like, we can use that across the board, right? Like with any human being, what are you afraid of? Okay, what are, how are we going to solve that? That's so such a simple question that I think a lot of people could answer pretty quickly. It's so true. I'm borrowing that. Yeah, no, steal it. You can steal it all you want. Uh, it, it, it's funny because people are not afraid of dying. They're afraid of missing out on certain things. Exactly. Right? Oh, nailed it. Nailed it. That's exactly it. All right. So I consider myself fearless. I, I've, I've done a lot of stuff. and Well, I shouldn't say fearless. I'm still f- deathly afraid of Tracy, my wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's healthy fear. That's as, a healthy as a fear. a tiny little lady, <laughs> she looks at me with her eyes. I go, ee, 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 ee. I just run away. Um, and it's funny because my daughter now, 14 years old, she's got the same look. I was like, did you teach her that? Uh, it is. <laughs> Passed um, it on. Yeah. I've done everything that I do. I've put money aside. I've got insurance. I know that if I pass away, that my family is taken care of. What I will miss is being on the rugby pitch with my kids. So what I do now is every time, regardless of what I'm doing, I know that if I die tomorrow, I've made sure that. So there's a poem called from Kalidasa, Ode to Dawn. So the, the poem goes on. This poem was written in the 1600s in India. And it goes, uh, Every day well lived is a vision of happiness and a, mem- uh, uh, a vision of hope and a memory of happiness. So the Stoics have the same kind of memento mori, remember death, right? So if you live your day, day in, day out, then you've got something that you know that you've done the best that you can do in your day to be able to to do that and what i i'm going to come back to you is you're providing that tool to enable people to live that model to own their to own their future mm, yep yep it's it's not it's not a solve all it's it's meant to determine how you'd like to spend this part of your journey what's the biggest pushback what's so when you first started doing this, who said you're sick in the head? Why are you doing this? Um, you'll never get you'll never get this. The health system is screwed up already. You're not going to make a difference. Oh my gosh, who didn't say that to me? Like I don't know if you recall, but in the beginning, you know, everyone. A, there's the people who love you who are like, don't do this. You're giving up an amazing job. Do not do this. So they're doing it because they love you, and they're like, I don't want you to starve. Um, and then you've got the, you know, the, the people who've never sort of stepped out of their element who are saying, don't do this because they're too scared to step out of their element. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got a bunch of, of people who, yes, and I, I agree at the time when we started the healthcare system had a lot of red tape that made it really, really difficult mm-hmm. for us. Timing wise, the pandemic actually removed a lot of the barriers that were pre-existing mm-hmm. when it came to health, because now you had people who could not go into hospitals unless um, so they true, yeah. were diagnosed with something. You had, um, in fact, I was just at a lung cancer conference last week, and in 2021 was their lowest diagnosis of, of 
non-small lung cancer, but that didn't mean that people weren't getting it at the same rate. It meant that people weren't seeing their doctors because we had to limit exposure. We had to limit going in. And so we're going to see a, you know, an aftermath of that. But, but the, the idea being there, there were things now that were more accessible. We had to get to people in, in their homes. We had to be able to reach people digitally, which wasn't done before. Mm -hmm. um, people were now getting an awareness of what clinical trials are. There, you know, we didn't have to define it anymore and explain them because every vaccine that went into trial, every pill that is happening right now for, for COVID-19 was in a clinical trial. And so that barrier of education was now removed as well. So it really accelerated our business. So, you know, going back to your question about the naysayers, for, for sure they were right in the beginning, but nobody could have predicted that a pandemic would happen and accelerate the work that we were doing. Screw you all. Ha ha ha. Cast yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though most days are still pivoting and, and finding a new way to do things. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's just interesting how life unfolds. Hey, you just can't predict. Oh, yes. No, yes. Yes, no, yes, no, we can't. No, yes. <laughs> so who was, do you remember, who was the first person you helped? Do you remember? I do remember. You're going to make I do remember. Now. I'm actually going to make myself cry. That's why I just needed a quick second. Um, do you want to talk about it? Because uh, if you don't want to, we don't. Have yeah, to. yeah. No, no, it's great. I, I think, um, you know, telling these stories. I mean, this is when I can't get up in the morning when I'm like, I freaking hate this job. Mm -hmm. Why did I do this to myself? Why am I not back in a nine to five job? This is ridiculous. These are the <laughs> So stories. stop for a sec. Stop for a second. Whoever is listening, who's been an entrepreneur, <laughs> if you've never told yourself that, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. Yeah. I... I go through this. I was like, I want to go flip burgers. I don't want to think about it. I just want to show up. Right. I just, I will make the best burger ever. Uh, trust me. I, yeah. <laughs> but man, oh man, I just don't, I just want to focus on what's in front of me. I just don't want to solve problems anymore. But anyways. Yeah. 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 No, you nailed it. I mean, there are days where you're just like, I don't want to be the boss anymore. I want to have somebody to escalate to who's going to talk to these people and make it right. Like, I don't want to be the boss. Tell me what to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to show up and do this, you know. Fold paper, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so on, on the dark days, I really go back to these testimonials or these patient calls. And to, to your point, the first one, which always makes me cry because it's the, the first person that you're dealing with. And her brother was um, dying of prostate cancer. And I had had a couple calls with her one-on-one. -on -one, and on one of the calls, because I said, you know, she's like, he, he's really being stubborn. He doesn't want to do this treatment. He doesn't want to do that treatment. And I, you know, and you're like, it's his choice. And, uh, and she goes, you know what? Like, I just want him to have a little more time. I just want him to be there for my son. Like, I just want a little more time. And, and it's the sister that's like, I just want to give him a couple more months. I'm, I'm not saying years. Mm -hmm. I just want, can I have a couple more months with him so that he can see my nephew, you know, his nephew graduate. Like that was all she wanted. She just wants him to make it to graduation. Whoa. And so, you know, that, that will always stick out in my head. Cause that, you know, you remember the person's voice and, and just that little bit of disappointment, desperation, and just kind of hope that maybe, maybe, maybe if one of these things could just give him a few more months, I'll just get a little more time with him. That's love. That's a sister's love, you know, Wow, that is powerful. 
and I think the thing about that too was because it was somebody's sister and me having two sisters who had gone through that, I would have been the exact same. I was the exact same. I just, I just want them to have options. I just, I want to know that if this doesn't work, that they've got something else. I know exactly what she was feeling. So not everybody sells the same promises as Cass. Okay, so if you're if you sell shoes, it's not the same thing as Cass. Okay, but think about the emotion that some people can attach to things. So, for example, think of somebody who can't walk really well, and wow, these shoes are gonna really help me. So, people buy products for their future selves, saying, "If I buy these shoes, my knees are gonna hurt less." I'm going to be a better walker. You're selling something very emotional, maybe not as intense as what Cass does. Let's face it, there's not a lot of people who sell the exact same thing that is cancer-related. This, this is pretty heavy. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, somebody who sells shoes versus what, you know, clinical trials to save people, to give, <laughs> to give people an extra time to live for an extra three months, there's a big difference. Uh, the emotional state is, is identical, right? So what Cass was mentioning is somebody, hey, I just want an extra three months. Well, if, if I buy this for, if I buy Nerf bullets for my son, that means that I will be able to play Nerf guns with him. So think about the relationship. That's what you're selling. So if you can attach yourself and in a meaningful way, not just bullshit your way through marketing saying, yeah. Mm. But if you really believe that selling your Nerf darts will bring more kids together and shoot their eyes out and, and, and have great experiences with <laughs> I mean, I grew up with a BB gun. I grew up in the 70s. So, <laughs> I mean, we actually shot our eyes out. Uh, but <laughs> the point of the matter is I, I, those are the memories that are attached with me. So, don't. Don't think, ah, what Cass does is way different than I do. No, put the spin on it. What joy do you bring in somebody's life by m producing those, that product that you've got or the service that you have? And attach yourself to that, and then you will be an impactful business. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And you know what's funny is, again, going back to my childhood, like watching my dad sell groceries out of a convenience store and the amount of time my dad to make sure all the labels on every shelf was facing out. All the labels had to be out. Everything had to be dusted every single day. And my dad, you know, it's just groceries. It's just cans of things people are taking home. They're going to eat it that night. But my dad cared so much because that was his community. And that's mm. exactly what I love what you're saying is it doesn't have to be this huge ginormous thing. It's like these are can 39 cent cans back Back then it was 39 yeah, yeah. cents, way back. <laughs> um, now it's like $3.59 for the same right? product. <laughs> but yeah, but that, that, that's, I, I love what you're saying because it's not, I think people have to do what's meaningful to them. And for my dad, it was meaningful to have a grocery store where people could come pick up their stuff and go home to their families. That's, that's meaningful. We, we walked to 7-Eleven uh, close to my house. And... Uh, the uh, owner, Maureen, is uh, 
I have I always have a chat with her. Hey, how are you doing? Right, I, it was just little things, right? Uh, we'll get a Slurpee. We'll go down. Uh, we'll get a bottle of water. Just even to walk in, just to walk out. And when it's hot, um, I, ten, I I always buy ice from that one. And last was it last week? It was really hot. Two two days in a row, there was no ice. Right? Hey, hey, Maureen. So, um, hi, she says, oh. Mr. Martin, Mr. Martin, come here, come here, come here, come here. Uh, Marie, uh, Maureen is is of Korean descent, so she uses hang signals. I lived in Korea, so I recognize her, and I say, so those little things, um, and that's how I got her heart. I said, I said, thank you in Korean, kamsamida. And then so she was really, oh, you speak Korean? I said, no, 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 I know like a little bit of <laughs> Korean, but Maureen really, really likes me. So uh, she she set a bag of ice aside for me. So talk about making my life. So when now I brought the ice back, people were coming over for drinks. I wouldn't I would have changed my day and it would have not made my day as beautiful as my day was if Maureen had not set a bag of ice for me beside. Mm -hmm. So no matter how small you think your gesture is in making somebody else's life better, small adds up in my opinion. Mm -hmm. A million percent, right. a million percent. Who are you? You've traveled the world. Oh my God! Like France, you've literally included almost every country in this conversation. <laughs> I've so we've lived and worked on six different continents. We have not lived in Antarctica purposefully. So I just want to put <laughs> probably a good call. Probably a good call. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So back to you, Cass. So now we've got the first one. What's the biggest challenge that you're faced with? If somebody's listening and they go, I love what Cass is doing with uh, Heal Mary, what's the biggest hurdle that you're faced with that you're struggling with for your business and your clients? Oh, there's so many little, you know, I think you said something about the little things adding up and, mm. and there's so many little things that, that sort of are, are roadblocks to be moved. But I, I would say truthfully and honestly right now, um, Raising money is really, really hard mm. uh, as a solo founder mm -hmm. um, when you're building tech, especially tech that uh, potentially requires a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a really hard thing to do. And so trying to get really resourceful, we you know how we're how we're doing our business model, um, all of that sort of is, is changing. I'd say that's probably the, the most important sort of thing on my mind right now. And then other things that that, you know, we are kind of roadblocks are just ensuring that uh, we're building out the technology correctly, you know, that we have enough, enough, that we're doing enough of the right things to validate that, yeah, this is the right step, the next right step. Sorry, I'm kind of all over the place, but those are sort of the things that kind of are on my mind right now <laughs> in the immediate, right? It'll change in three weeks. It'll be a whole new set of problems. But those I'd say for this week are probably the biggest biggest two yeah with a looming recession um exactly people i mean i'm i'm not investing I'm personally i i've kept my money and i'm investing in in b mortgages um mm. to help people because for me that's it's how do i invest in a ethical way um so there's a lot of people who will not fill the gap of the big banks and so for, therefore, B mortgages are very helpful for people who don't necessarily fill, fit the bill. So hopefully that 
through our investment through the organization that does that then it provides some assistance for for people to be to have a home right so that's like amazing use my leverage my investment to, to hopefully make make a difference um what does your future look like let's talk about you and your business what does what does beautiful mean for you in your business uh beautiful beautiful for me in my business is is genuinely more of the stuff that we're getting every day okay. more of more of the more of the people you know that are being impacted more of the connections that we're making you know we focused a lot of on the patients um but there are a lot of studies scientific breakthroughs that are happening that involve customizing treatment for your DNA. Like this stuff is mind blowing and they're looking for people to be willing to, to prove that it works under, under, you know, strong efficacy um, and strong ethical boundaries. But that is sort of the goal is, is eventually to bridge the people who are looking for treatment with the people who are looking to validate their treatment. So beautiful for me is, is the day where people have a say and are able to find um, the science that makes sense for them. So how does your business work? So what are, I, I've been struggling to find KPIs, right? So mm. uh, key performance indicators for the listeners. So I'm trying to think, okay, so what do you measure? Like what, what, how does your revenue dictate, uh, you know, how is your revenue dictated? How do you include profitability? What's your cost of goods? There's just, so how do you measure your day-to-day -day success in your KPIs? Yeah, so in the most crudest sense, if I sort of take the emotion mm -hmm. away from Yeah, take from emotion. Let's, let's be just yeah, cold hard economics here. Yeah, yeah, full, full economics. So the patient for us is is technically the product, right? They're, gotcha. they're, they've got their health information that they're using that are going to be able to allow us to track analytics. So um, where we use that data is being able to say, hey, for this sponsor who's doing a specific study, is it realistic? You know, you're targeting all these people in the US in 15 states that have this, that haven't been treated by whatever mm. drug. And yet every patient that we've had put in information has been treated by that drug, your study is gonna fail. So now we can actually provide that information in advance when they design what's called the study protocol. Okay. Um, so how we work with clients and how we generate revenue is we will work with them on specific studies. And that's either A, to help find patients that would qualify oh. for their study that are interested in participating, and also to provide them this type of data and analytics. So being able to not only provide data saying, hey, you know, proactively, if you do your study, it might have a better chance of success here, is actually to tell them as the process is going, you know, 13 people dropped off on this question, like either this isn't a good study protocol or maybe we need to relook at this. So that's the during. And then after, we're actually able to provide data on competing studies, which is very important mm -hmm. because, you know, there are 3,000 trials, let's say, in lymphoma right now. In one, one lymphoma, all testing different things. So they're all sort of technically competing against each other as well. And so if you're able to go back and say, hey, at the end of the study, when we ran this through and all these lymphoma patients came through, you know, only two were really interested in yours and 35 were interested in this other study because of these reasons. So for 
us, the data, the information mm -hmm. we provide, and the potential patient is how we're actually compensated. So that's that's where the dollar figure comes in. So you're so you're you're doing pre-qual, qual, and and post serve. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. And so. So the what you're measuring on a daily basis is the performance of the criterias for a certain study. Exactly. Wow. Look at that. Oh, yeah. I get points. Nailed I, it. I got a cookie. I get a <laughs> yeah. cookie. Whoop, whoop. But it's like you've done this a million times before or something. <laughs> hey, that you've been an entrepreneur or something. How do I measure stuff? Uh uh, it's it's funny all the time because my boy is like this. I, we him and I go I say, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I always push my kids and I say, how many ping pong balls can you fit in here? They go what? Hey, let's give you a pen and a paper. I don't care what your assumptions are. You know, become a problem solver. Become uh, be useful, right? Become that walking, talking calculator that people can bounce ideas off of. Anyways, um, I love that. All right, so. We've got, we've got a good plan. We've got a what looks good. What's the number for you? Is there a goal that is attached to a specific number? Like, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw stuff on the wall here. So you go, mm -hmm. when we've hit, when we've helped 100 million people be part of trials, or what is your like what's the what's your single number that you're looking to post on the wall if if you're like you're super successful what's the number one number that you're going to put on your critical number that you're going to put on the wall so our you know big hairy audacious mm -hmm. goals are um 10 million patients um, in cancer. So this is just one therapeutic area. We, we will expand in others, but right now if I'm focusing on cancer, it's 10 million. Um, beyond that, we have some diversity metrics, which is a whole nother topic. Um, you know, there's a, a severe underrepresented problem in clinical trials. So for us, another goal is 50% um, or more female participants in clinical trials, because we can measure that as well. And then beyond that, there's currently less than 3% from underrepresented communities participating in clinical trials. So for us, we want to move that number to at least 10%. So 10% of the people that we're referring come from underrepresented communities. Is it because they don't have access to it? They don't know about technology? There's, I guess there's a whole bunch of things that are associated with that. Yeah, so just a quick Coles notes on that. You know, how we're addressing it is, one, um, especially when it comes to immigrant populations like, like my parents who were first mm -hmm. gen, English is not oh, their first so language. True, yeah. And if you've ever, right, if you've ever looked at a clinical study, it's made for medical people. So if you now increase the barrier mm -hmm. even more by making it really hard to understand. So we've, we're building out a multi-language feature that allows um, one study to be shown in multiple languages. The other piece of that is um, mistrust. Um, so lots of people from other ethnicities mm -hmm. very early on were used as tests and experiments. So there's a, a huge mistrust of the industry. Um, and then also access. So ensuring that uh, doctors in certain communities and making sure these trials are available in certain communities um, will be the next step. So that's sort of a, a really rushed version of, of all the problems there. but. But we are looking to address. There are so many things that just not cancer. I'm thinking about mental health. 
right? Addictions. There's so many things that you could apply the same principles of what you're doing to other. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, right now, like I said, we pivoted to COVID-19 to help Mm -hmm. with that, to understand it. And even then we can see what the differences are. We're actually making a move into arthritis as well. That's so my boat. We thought, That's oh, my boat. That's that my you? boat. I'm, I'm on the arthritis really? boat. I have a fake hip. So I got oh, no yeah, yeah. way. I, uh, I played rugby, jumped out of planes, did all that stuff for a long time. Oh, so oh yeah. I, my left hip. You were really gentle. No, I'm not gentle at all. And so I'm, I'm on the, <laughs> I'm on the list for my second hip. So probably fall somewhere around there will be my second hip. Um, yeah, wow. it was it, it, yeah, when yeah. you're talking about how to see, you know, um, we live we live outside of the Vancouver general area. We live in a place called Burke Mountain, if you look it up. And then our surgeon is in UBC. So it's University of British Columbia, which was way out. It's like a, a, an hour drive there to see the surgeon for literally 15 minutes and drive an hour back when COVID hit. I saw Dr. Masri, Baz Masri. Um, dialed into Zoom or whatever the 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 application was, and it's like, hey, boss, how you doing? He's like, I love this Zoom thing. I've seen so many patients, and I can still have an espresso from my favorite espresso making machine. <laughs> so he's he's a pretty cool surgeon. So uh, there's there's the one thing that the well, not the one thing. There's a whole bunch of things that came positive from the from the pandemic and is access to physicians. I think. And being able to do that now with your product as well, can you imagine? So you connect, have access to data, you can meet people through Zoom and and all that good stuff face-to-face. And then you can actually, I did a COVID test through Zoom as as we were heading out to the States. So this lady watched me do my COVID. I was like, how could I cheat this? Just to just to figure out the process, right? Could I cheat this? Could I cheat what I'm doing? Now you could with a sleight of hand, but it's very difficult. So there's, I mean, you'd have to be yeah. ill-intended to, to do so. So, anyways, um, sure. Cass, what is the reference, the piece of reference that you put by your bed when you talk about business, when you think about doing your business? What's the one book, the one comment, the one movie, something that you've attached yourself to? that you always bring back up? Uh, truthfully, I literally have a new reference every month. All right, I'm, give us the reference of the month. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the reference of the month. Um, I'm actually reading two books by, I think it's called, uh, his name is Vern Harnish. Oh. <laughs> and one is called Sc- Scaling Up. Do you know yes, these yes. books? Scaling up. Yeah, scaling up. And the second one I just got is Rockefeller Habits. So I know it's been around for, for a while, but someone just introduced me. One of my mentors just introduced me to them. To, so those are the two by my bedside. Um, but last month, I would say my business book was actually one on habits. Um, Atomic Habits? James, what? there we go. Basically, what you've read is, is what I'm learning to read now. So you might as well just give me your list. And uh, I'll catch up. How's that? The one thing that I and the listeners will listen to this, there's two things that I always say. So for me, I'm an older generation. First things first, seven habits of highly effective people has not gone away. So if you live and Mm -hmm. die by that, for me, putting first things first. As I do my day, and where's my little sticky note page? Um, My wife, Tracy, got me a get shit done 
uh, sticker boy. <laughs> so and, yes. and there's only three things that you can put on there, and I, I and I live by that. What are the top three things that I have to do today? And so I pick one healthy, one wealthy, and one wise. So I always focus on how do I stay healthy, how do I stay wealthy, and how do I stay wise in that order uh, from from Flanklet. Then the second one is Master and Commander. The movie, I know it's set in the 1700s, but it's about leading people. And so it's with Russell Crowe, how you have to make difficult choices as a leader um, to be able to keep the ship afloat. And those are two things that I, mm. that I um, live and die by. Most of the times. Now, there's a whole bunch of other books that you'll see behind my shelf or in, in my huge bookshelf here, but those are the things that I refer back to all the time. Amazing. Amazing. Look, I, I've learned something new, that you're going to be my next <laughs> month books right there, thanks to you. Uh, one good one for you there. So there's a difference between scaling up and EOS. So you'll hear a lot of people talk about EOS and scaling up. So... Um, scaling up came before EOS so read that book first you're doing a good job it'll give you a good perspective on certain things 1% how to do people how to do cash and once you're done with that one jump into EOS as well and take the best um, Kaizen methodology is another approach so all these tools mm -hmm. entrepreneurs will say oh, I'm an EOS person I'm a scaling up person we at Urgio, depending on the situation that's faced in front of us, always focus on we're blue-collared workers, meaning what tool should I use? If you, I mean, can you take a screw out, a flathead or um, a Phillips with the square? You could probably bash it in and get it off, but it's best to use the right tool for the right job. So don't get attached to one. Just see what best tool is set or what best tool to use to get where what you want out of your business. So Amazing. Well, with that said, Cass, thank you so very much. I I could keep on talking to you for an hour at least. So, but we have to think about the listeners who are <laughs> going to say, hey, "Okay, come on. Let's go to the next one. Let's I need to get home or I need to finish my spaghetti sauce whatever they're doing." Uh, yeah. So thank you very much for being on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, it was amazing. It's so nice to finally meet you, Martin. Thank you again for the, for the chat. Fabulous. With that being said, my name is Martin Hunter. I'm the host of What CEOs Talk About. Please like, subscribe, and click the notification bell so that you can be warned and advised about when the new episode comes out. What CEOs Talk About is about translating strategy into frontline operations. With that said, goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.